Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Today's lesson is from a series of messages that I preached originally at Grace Bible Church in Warren, Michigan last year for their annual Bible conference. My family and I had a great time of Bible study and fellowship with Pastor Tom Bruchet and the rest of the saints there at Grace Bible Church. And I think you'll find this to be an edifying series of lessons as we examine the divine institutions that God lays out in his word, starting right in the very first chapters of the book of Genesis. The theme for this week, or or the topic for the messages, has to do with the divine institutions. And I don't know how many of you have ever heard messages on the divine institutions, uh, but we're, we're talking about some things. We're going to spend some time, especially tonight, in the book of Genesis and looking at some things that God put in place, uh, even, even right from the creation, to govern and, and um, not really to control, but, but to order man on the earth. And, and, of course, especially after the fall, those things became even more important. And, you know, we, we look at the world around us and, and you see turmoil everywhere, um, you know, not just in other countries, here in our country. You see many of these things we're going to talk about, these divine institutions, are, are crumbling around us. Um, you know, the, the family, marriage and the family. Uh, the, when you talk about matters of government, you just see, you see chaos everywhere. And of course, that's what happens when you take away any kind of a standard. And, you know, we're, we're really back like in the, in the time of the judges when every man did what was right in his own eyes. And, you know, it's, it's no wonder that we see chaos all around us. And uh, so what we want to do through the course of these messages really is to, to take these things from the Word of God and, and give ourselves a, a strong foundation with regard to these things. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. This teaching on the, on the divine institutions, if you, know, if you were to go in and, and do any uh, research on the, the divine institutions. The, the two names probably that you would come across the most are uh, R.B. Theme, Colonel, Colonel Theme. Some of you may be familiar with that name. Uh, he, he taught about these divine institutions and also a man who was really a student of his, uh, Pastor Charles Clough. And, and Pastor Clough is on the board of the Schaefer Theological Seminary. And those two men are, are most associated with teaching about these divine institutions that we're going to talk about. Most of what we're going to talk about, it's, it's going to differ maybe a little bit from what those men teach. And, um, you know, we're going to include some things that they may not include. But the, the way that R.B. Theme and, and Charles Clough defined the divine institutions is these things that God created as a, as a unique part of man that are of, of spiritual importance and that are, are common to all men, okay? So not, not things that God has given specifically for believers, 
but things that are, are common to all men. And uh, those two men define the, the four divine institutions as volition or free will. Uh, R.B. Theme defined it as free will, but Charles Clough is a little more Calvinistic than that. He didn't really like that term. And uh, he actually uses the term responsible dominion. But what he means by it is really free will. Okay? Uh, so that's what they, they identify as the first of the divine institutions, that God created man with a will. Uh, that God created man to, to, you know, for man and woman to unite together in marriage. And so they would identify marriage as being the second of the four divine institutions. Family as the third. And nationalism or civil government as the fourth. Okay, now that's the way they lay it out there. Now when you're, when you're using a term like divine institution, you understand that's not a biblical term, so you don't really have a way to define it biblically. And I don't think either of those men would say those are the only four divine institutions, but, but using the definition that they use of, of these things that are common to all men that are unique to man, they don't, don't apply to the animals, Right? They're unique to man that are of, of spiritual significance. They identify those. Now, through the course of the weekend, we're going to add one more thing we're going to talk about, which is worship. Okay, And I think you can make the case that worship fits that definition as well. Worship seems to be something that is innate to man. It's, you don't find it among the animals. Um, and, and it is something that's common to all men. Now, there's false worship out there. Right, But there's false ideas of government out there. There's false ideas of family. Just because there's false ideas out there doesn't mean that there's, you know, that's not a, a divine institution. And so we're, gonna, we're going to include that as one of the divine institutions that we will talk about. But uh, that's, you know, that's the way they laid it out. And, and you find all of these things, if these are things that are unique to humanity, we would expect to find them instituted close to the place where humanity comes into existence, which is in the book of Genesis. And that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this evening. And the other messages will we'll, uh, get into some other passages of Scripture. But uh, in, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, you have the creation. And you know, the book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. That's what Genesis means. And there's, there's so many things in the Bible that begin in the book of Genesis. Uh, it's, it's really interesting sometimes if you take a study of the book of Genesis and compare it with a study of the book of Revelation. And you have in the first book of the Bible all these things that begin that then are brought to fruition there in the book of Revelation. And, you know, Genesis has so many of the answers to the, the big questions that are out there. I mean, just think about the first few chapters, especially the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, and because that's where it all begins, you have questions like, where did we come from? How did we get here? Right? Uh, how long ago did all of that happen? Uh, what, you know, what, is the, what is the purpose of man? Who is God? These are things you find right there in the book of Genesis. You also find out things like why there's death and suffering in the world, why we wear clothes, right? All, all of these things go right there to the early chapters of the book of Genesis. Um, certainly questions about the world around us, why it is that you can go up to the, the tallest mountaintop and find fossils of sea creatures. Isn't that interesting? book of Genesis will explain that for you. I've heard lots of other explanations for it, but the book of Genesis is what seems to make sense to me. You know? not, that I'm the, not that what makes sense to me is the standard of truth, right? But... Uh, 
you know, you talk about it takes faith to believe the Bible. It takes faith to believe a lot of things. And there's some things it takes more faith to believe, I think, than believe the Bible. Uh, in the book of Genesis, you have the explanation for why we speak different languages, why, um, why you have different nations in the world. You know, you have the different conflict between various nations and, and peoples and tribes, and right back to the book of Genesis. And so it's in these early chapters of the book of Genesis that we find God instituting some things that are designed to, to govern man, to, um, to order human society, and we ignore these things at our peril, okay? They're, they're very important. Now, here in Genesis chapter 1, you have the creation of not just man, but the creation, really, of the, of the entire universe there. And uh, on the sixth day of creation is when God creates man. By the way, there's another question that is answered in the book of Genesis. Why do we have seven days in the week? You know, you know that, that uh, different cultures have tried to redefine the week to have a different number of days. In the French Revolution, they were, were so anti any kind of biblical truth, they tried to establish a 10-day week. And you know what? It didn't work. It, it just, you know, things are designed to work on that seven-day week. Why is that? Book of Genesis. Uh, and on, on the sixth day is where you have God creating man. Now, man is distinct from all of the rest of the creation. Man is distinct from the animals. Man is not just a highly evolved primate. Uh, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. You see, God makes man as a special part of his creation that is made in the very image of God himself. Uh, notice there God says, let us make man in our image. And you ever think about who God's talking to when he says, let us make man? Now, I suppose there's a possibility he might be talking to the angels, but nowhere in Scripture does it say that man is made after the image of angels, right? That's, that's the members of the Godhead speaking to one another, there in that verse. That is the Godhead, that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image. You know, when the Bible describes the, the totality of human being, it describes man as being a spirit, soul, and body. There's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three parts. Man's made with a spirit, soul, and body, three parts, made in the image of God. It says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. You see, man is created to have dominion over the earth. Um, this is, you know, uh, there's people that believe that, you know, man is just, again, just a, a highly evolved animal. And yet, you know, if you look at even, even somebody who truly believes that, the way they really view humanity is very different than the way they would if they really did believe that, right? Because if, if man is just a highly evolved animal, then when man builds a road, that's no different than when deer walk through the woods and, and make a, a deer trail, right? If man's just a highly evolved animal, then for man to build a bunch of buildings, 
that's really no less natural than for a beaver to build a dam to, to uh, you know, dam up a stream and, and make a pond, right? If, if man's just another animal, then really everything is natural. Everything's nature. We're sitting here in nature right now, if that's the case, right? Just as much as if, you know, as if we were in, uh, you know, something, something just considered natural. Um, but nobody really views things in that way. Right? In fact, the, the people who believe man's just a highly evolved animal often are the ones that are the most adamant that man is somehow separate from nature and needs to take care of it, and, and, and man does need to take care of it. I mean, that's part of God's creation. Right? But even that idea that man somehow needs to take care of nature is based here in these verses because man's given dominion over those things. You see? And so, so any time somebody is going to go out, I mean, you don't see, for instance, you don't see a wild animal go and rescue some injured animal and bring it back to health and, and set it free. Most of the time, you, what you see them do is you see them eat the injured animal, right? That's what, that's what happens, okay? But, but man understands just even by nature that there's a dominion there, that man has some responsibility to, to take care of the world around him. And, and you see that God creates man to have dominion over those things. Um, you know that God created, God made the, the natural world actually to function the best and to be the most productive when it's overseen by man, right? I mean, think, think about just, you know, if you go out in the woods somewhere, certainly there's an order in creation just on its own without man. Uh, certainly, you know, there, there's, it's kind of a, especially in the fallen world, it's kind of a savage order, but there's an order there. But Think about how much life, if you take an acre of land that's just left to itself and you think about how much life that acre of land can support, it's not very much. But you take man, you know, working upon that land and, and improving that land, and now that acre of land is more productive, okay? And, and so the creation, even here before the fall, God puts Adam in the garden, tells him to, to tend it and to keep it. Uh, much of what we do really is, is that kind of thing. You realize when you mow your lawn, what you're doing is you're, you're taking dominion over that creation. You're imposing an order on it. Uh, you're not just letting it go to, to you know, whatever it would be naturally. You're imposing some order on it. You're taking dominion over that little piece of the creation. You see? And there's not anything wrong with that. That's what God tells man to do. He, he here says, even before he's made man, he's saying, when we create man in our image, this is what they're going to do. They're going to have dominion over the animals, over the earth, over the creeping things upon the earth. And so verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And verse 28, it says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now, in verse 26, God is, is announcing his intention. It's those members of the Godhead speaking to one another, announcing their intention to create man in their image for this purpose. In verse 28, after God has created man, now he reveals his will to them. So he creates man for this purpose, and then he reveals his will to them. And he tells man, or, or male and female here at this point, to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Now, he's giving man a command there. He's giving some instruction to man. 
And, and the implication, you know, when, when God creates the, the animals, he makes similar statements, although he doesn't tell them to take dominion or to subdue the earth, but he makes similar statements. He, he creates them and he, and he says, be fruitful and, and multiply. But here is a, as a command to man, and of course man is created in such a way that man can have communion with God and God can communicate with man. And the, the, the fact that God is giving here man this command implies that man has a degree of choice. He can follow the command or not follow the command, right? And, and this is something that is unique to man's nature. Um, you know, animals work on instinct. Animals don't make rational choices. And, and this is something that also that the evolutionary view has a hard time explaining because you take the most advanced of the animals and they're nowhere near the, the ability that man has to make choices, you know, to make, again, to make rational choices. They're operating mainly on instinct. Even very intelligent animals are operating on instinct. And, and, you know, man certainly can operate on instinct to a certain degree, but we have this ability to make rational choices. And here, as God says to man and woman, and he tells them to be fruitful and to multiply, he tells them to have, have dominion, to, to, to go out, and he says to replenish the earth and subdue it, they have a choice. They can willingly participate in God's plan and purpose for them, or they can choose not to do that. Now, at this time, he creates them, and, and he creates them without any sin nature, you know, any kind of, they, they didn't have the tendency that we have by nature, which is to rebel against God, but they still had a, a choice, okay? Um, the, you know, free will is not something that comes in after the fall. Free will is something they had from the beginning. Actually, every once in a while I'll hear people talk about angels, for instance, and they'll say angels don't have free will. Angels have free will as well, right? There was an angel named Lucifer that had free will and exercised that will in rebellion against God, right? Angels, angels have free will as well, but angels aren't made in the image of God. Angels, angels aren't, uh, you know, certainly the Bible describes them as beautiful and powerful beings, but they're not the object of God's love the way man is. And, um, uh, here, you know, God, he, he gives man this special role of taking dominion over the earth, uh, subduing the earth, and all of these other institutions flow from that. Because when you're talking about things like marriage, when you're talking about family, when you're talking about uh, worship and government, you're really, in a, a lot of ways, not exclusively, but in a lot of ways, you are talking about authorities, right? There's authority in all of those areas. And all of that authority really begins here where it's vested in Adam and Eve, and they're told to take dominion. That's, that's authority. They're to take this creation, even before the fall, this creation that's created good, okay? And they're to go out and take, take authority over it, subdue it, take dominion over it. All right, and so the other institutions we're going to talk about flow from right here, from this this dominion that is granted to man, and we find the others coming in fairly quick succession uh, in these early chapters of the book of Genesis. By the way, we see in chapter two, um, we we see another instruction of God. You know, chapter two is going in and filling in some details 
of the, the sixth day of creation in, in uh, chapter 1. And um, verse, well, let's start, let's just start in verse 4 of chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. You see, when you go from the end of chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 2, now you've gone, you've gone back in time because you've gone back before there was a man to till the ground. right? And um, uh, verse 6 says, But there went up a mist from the earth, watered the whole face of the ground. Verse 7, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so chapter 1 told you God created them, male and female. Chapter 2 is filling in the details for you. Chapter 2 tells you how God took that dust of the ground. And he forms the, the dust of the ground, by the way, that's, he forms from that the uh, physical part of man, the body. It says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And do and you know that the word spirit in your Bible, both in, whether in Hebrew or in Greek or in English, the word spirit means breath, all right? The, um, think about, think about in, in your body what you call the system of your body that breathes. It's the respiratory system. That's, that, that word spirit means breath, okay? And here when it talks about God breathing into man's nostrils, the breath of life, he's putting a spirit there in man. He's taking, you know, you just have a, a dead body, you know, if you have a, if, if you were to take and examine the body of a person, thirty seconds before death and thirty seconds after death, you wouldn't be able to find through scientific processes. You wouldn't be able to find really what the difference is, right? I mean, you can you can take a dead body and make it breathe artificially, right? You can do that. You can you can make it pump the blood artificially, but. What's different between them is one has a spirit in it and the other one doesn't. See, one has life in it and one doesn't. And when God takes the dust of the ground, he forms that body of Adam. Okay, there's a dead body there. God breathes into it the breath of life. And again, this isn't just, he's not just performing CPR on this dead body, but he's putting a spirit into that body. And you see what it says? It says man became a living Soul, and there you have in the creation of man that that body, that spirit, that soul, those those three parts of man. And verse eight says, "The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. Skip down, skip down to verse." Um, Verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, now here's another command, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now we have another command of God and another opportunity for man to exercise that volition that God had given to him to obey God or not obey God. 
These, these two trees, by the way, this isn't just, God never does anything arbitrarily, right? When you, when you read something in the Bible and says God did this a, a certain way, there's a reason why God did it the way he did. And you know, those two trees there in the garden, now they're, they're physical, literal trees in a literal garden that God created, but they're representative of something. You notice there's a tree there that Adam can freely eat from that's called the tree of life, that if he eats from, if he eats from that, he'll live forever. But there's another tree there that he, if he eats from it, he'll surely die, and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what else do you know in God's word that gives knowledge of good and evil? What does Paul say? By what is the knowledge of sin? By the law, right? You have in those two trees, you have grace and law represented. You see, this is why it was such a serious thing when, when God says, you know, again, he's not, just, he's not just making up some rule to get Adam to, to jump through hoops, right? There's a lesson there in that. And this tree that gives knowledge of good and evil, he says, don't eat from that. Come over here and eat freely from this one that gives life. And, you know, that's the same message today, isn't it? Don't go eat from that tree that gives knowledge of good and evil, that's going to condemn you, that's going to cause you shame, that's going to cause you to die. Here's, here's God's grace that you can take freely of and live forever. You see? And um, so, you know, those trees there, when God gives Adam this opportunity, again, to exercise his volition, it's not, it's not God just... just you know, playing games and saying, well, we'll see what he does or whatever. It, it's, there's, a, there's a plan and purpose in that. Now, God, of course, knew in advance what was going to happen, right? God knew that. But doesn't that give you a, a powerful picture of things that then, then, you know, you start to think about that and you'll start to think about things all through the Bible that are like that. And you see how the, the, uh, the grace that is available today, you, you see it in these things from the Word of God. Now, Adam didn't understand any of that. We see it in hindsight because we, we have further revelation, right? What Adam knows is there's one tree I'm not supposed to eat from, and I can eat from any other tree, including this one called the tree of life, right? That's what, that's what Adam knows. And he has a choice to obey or not obey. Now, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a sin nature at this point, right? He's not like us. When somebody, when somebody tells us, you can't do that, there's a, little, there's, a little, there's a little twitch there that says, I kind of want to do that, right? <laughs> right? Um, by the way, there's a long Bible word that, that describes uh, that feeling you get to want to do something just because somebody told you not to do it. It's, it's the word concupiscence or concupiscence. That word in your Bible, concupiscence, that really, if you look it up, what it means is it, it means the desire to do something because you're not supposed to do it. Right? That's, that's what concupiscence is. Um, and, and so God here, Adam doesn't have that though. Right? A- in fact, Adam's will in, in, a, you know, in a very important way is more free than what ours is. Because we have a free will. In any particular instance, you can choose to sin or not to sin. A lost person can do that, right? I mean, a lost person can choose not to murder somebody. A lost person can choose not to steal. Right? But... But Adam doesn't even have, he doesn't have any tendency towards sin whatsoever. And he, he can freely choose one or the other, really without any, without any kind of internal struggle or, or conflict. When God tells Adam that, he doesn't automatically think, I wonder what's going to happen if I go eat from that. He, he just thinks, you know, okay, 
eat from these trees, don't eat from that tree. But uh, he gives them that command, and Adam has this opportunity to, to exercise his volition. Now, all of the rest of the divine institutions, and we're going to begin to see the other ones here in, in quick succession, uh, all of the rest of those are designed for, for man, especially they have to do with man living to go, together with other men and eventually other women, right? Um, they're social type things. Marriage is a social arrangement. Um, family is a social arrangement. Worship is a social arrangement. Government, uh, you know, joining together uh, in communities under a government is a social arrangement. Uh, but, but they really are designed to take that volition that man has and to, to sort of protect it. This becomes much more important after the fall when now you have sin, now you have that, that tendency toward rebellion and, and sinfulness to have these institutions that will help shape man's volition. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.